you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. These are all the words of Jesus. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. And you are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Uh, So this morning, uh, we have uh, the gift and opportunity uh, to hear uh, from Jaden Brockle, who has been a part of our uh, community uh, for uh, the last couple of years. I'm going to invite Jaden and Anna forward. So I met Jaden at the University of Sioux Falls. Uh, I get to teach in the theology department. And so in February of 2015, college version Jaden walked into uh, that classroom and got to know him. uh, And we have connected pretty much every month since then. um, And just having conversations about life and ministry and uh, what ministry is about and Uh, Lots of lunches. I think we've worn out the chairs at Pancheros, so they just like told us to leave. So that's just kind of how that has been, and I've felt so uh, grateful to be able to walk uh, with Jaden and Anna, uh, perform their wedding on a very warm day at McKinnon Park, but it was great. We all got through it, and uh, just it's just a gift to be a part of a church where we get to use our gifts together. It's not us watching people use their gifts. It's us using our gifts together. And so uh, today is a part of that. Uh, the sad part of today uh, is that Jaden and Anna are going to move. And so they're going to be moving to Minneapolis. And so what we want to be able to do is pray for them. And you'll notice a theme. If you hang around invitation, people tend to move away. And it's not me, I promise. Um, but I think like the Lord's doing something. I think there's a particular way that he desires to use this place. And I think one of the ways that he desires to use this place is to send people, to prepare 
and to invest and then to send people. And it's just something that has kind of been from the very beginning. We do this a lot. We pray for people who are moving a lot. Uh, please don't go anywhere. Um, but I think we have two choices. We can like try to hold on to good things and hold on to good people and convince them, or we can understand that we can live open-handed, that while we get to be in relationship and in close proximity, uh, that's an amazing blessing. And then the open-handed part is that we release them in Jesus' name. So I want to pray for them, and then he's going to preach, and I'm going to sit down, which that's going to be just a great gift today. So, uh, God, we thank you so much for Jaden and for Anna and for their lives and for the way that they have been faithful to you, and the way that they have sought your heart, the way that they have invested themselves in this faith community and in this city. And God, we know that you have great and mighty things for them uh, in their life as they continue to take steps of faith. Uh, it is not easy to say goodbye. It is not easy uh, to pack up your stuff and to step into a new city. But something that we believe about you is that where you call, you provide. And so we pray that you would provide deep and meaningful and lasting friendships uh, for them in that place. Uh, that you would provide a church that is rooted in your grace and a church that is rooted in the way of Jesus and is interested not in building something big, but building something deep. And I pray, God, that you would give them opportunities uh, to love uh, that city well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good? Awesome. Hey, well, before we uh, jump in, I actually want to just share with you uh, two quick things, um, a little bit about my wife and I's story. You'll hear a little bit more later on in uh, my message here. Uh, but I want to talk to you just real quick about just the power of this church right here and how impactful it has been uh, for my wife and I. Um, so we've been coming here. We started probably coming about a year ago maybe. Uh, we were kind of feeling it out. Um, obviously Dave and I were very closely connected. So I've kind of been watching from afar what's been going on here in like a non-creepy stalkerish way, I promise. Uh, but I'm like, hey, we should check it out. We're kind of looking for a new church home. Um, and when my wife and I walked in the church doors about a year ago, uh, we, we walked in with a, a lot of baggage uh, we walked in with a lot of specifically just church hurt, um, specifically in the context of just relationships. Um, my wife and I, just through different seasons of our life, we've just found a lot of hurt, um, and hurt by the body specifically. And so it was really hard at first coming in. Our, our, our hands were kind of like this, meeting people, and we had a lot of barriers up uh, because we just, oh, there's a lot of pain and wounds there for that. Uh, but I want you to know over the course of this past year, guys, just because of how special of a places and this is and the type of people that you are, uh, man, my wife and I have found so much healing um, and so much community here. Um, just specifically, um, also, I just want to put a, a plug in for our community group. Um, if you're in a community group, which there's several people in this room, it has been amazing. Um, I want to say thank you so much from the bottom of our heart, um, just the, the life-giving experience that we have found. And so if you're not in a community group, it's amazing. You should totally do it and be a part of it. Um, so Invitation Church, thank you um, from the bottom of my heart just for the, the type of people that you are. I know one of the core values here that Dave talks about a lot is this is a, a place where you create for people to just belong. Um, and that is what Anna and I have experienced. And so uh, thank you so much. And I also want to talk real quick about 
just the amazing type of person Dave Campbell is. Um, I'm going to, everything I say right here, it's nothing new. I know that. Um, but I want you to know how incredibly blessed we are um, to have a lead pastor like Dave Campbell. Um, he is somebody who is, I look up to in, in so many ways. Um, he is just an extremely healthy uh, pastor. Um, I've met so many people through just the small 25 years that I've been alive and existed, uh, but Dave is one in a million for sure. And Dave, the thing I appreciate about you is uh, what you see is what you get with you. Um, and so whether you like it or not, Dave, that's who Dave is. I love everything about Dave minus the fact that he's a Duke fan. Uh, that's, that's really hard for me to accept. And so... Uh, but what you see is what you get with Dave. So the same person that Dave is up here on Sunday morning preaching, it's the same type of person that he is behind closed doors leading his family and his two boys. And it's just a beautiful thing. And Dave, I just want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart just for the type of person that you are, um, just the way that you've so, uh, so loved me so extremely well. So, um, yeah. Well, hey, let's get in to the actual passage of scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning. And I want to give us some context into what's going on here, that, uh, the passage that Dave just read from John 15. So several chapters before this, this passage of scripture takes place um, during an event that we oftentimes call the Last Supper. So Jesus is sitting around a table with his disciples, and he's sharing a meal with them, and they're talking. They're uh, having some food, having some drinks. They're just having a great time. It's a beautiful picture of what community looks like. They're sitting around this table um, but it doesn't stay that way. Something drastically happens. A shift happens in the room, and Jesus predicts that, hey, one of you guys is actually going to betray me. Like, one of you guys will betray me, and then we find out, obviously, it's Judas, and he tells Judas, hey, get up, do what you must. And so Judas storms out of the room in the middle of this, this beautiful meal. And not only does that happen, but Jesus also says, hey, one of you is also going to deny me. And we find out it's Peter. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And so this beautiful picture of community, what was happening, all of a sudden something, a shift happens in the room. People, you know, Judas storms out, and I can just imagine people are probably, the disciples are probably going, what the heck is going on right now? Like it's an extremely uncomfortable, weird moment for them. Um, and then we, um, Jesus goes on and talks about in John 14, which Adam talked about last week. He says, hey, some stuff's about to go down here, but it's going to be okay because I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you my spirit and advocate. It's going to come eventually, and it's going to live inside of you, and it's going to live around you. And it's going to help you walk through this life. And I thought, Adam, you did an amazing job last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, please go and do. Um, it, it's, truly, it's truly amazing. So then we get to John 15 here. Where Jesus then tells his disciples, remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. Now even though these are, the, these are instructions that Jesus talks to his disciples about thousands of years ago, I think they are so appropriate and applicable to us, us disciples, sitting in this room this morning. And so he talks about this connection that between us and the Father and him and he says it's only possible by three individuals. He says, it's the Father, who's like a gardener. It's Jesus, myself, who's like a vine. And it's you disciples, who are like branches. And Jesus says, if each member does their job correctly and faithfully, the result of it is going to be an extremely fruitful life. An extremely fruitful life. And so I want to jump in and I want to break down uh, these three individuals and, and the role that they have. And we're going to focus on a couple passages of scriptures this morning. So John 15, 1 and 2, let's start here, and it's, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, 
My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So Jesus says, hey, the first individual in this connection is our father, and he's like a gardener. And what does a gardener do? He says he's got two responsibilities. This gardener, he walks around a, a vineyard, he walks around a garden, and he has two jobs. The first is he looks for branches that are dead. He looks for branches that are dead, and he cuts them off. This word cuts off can be translated as he takes away. He removes. The thing that's pretty simple to us. He removes, he gets rid of. But this other word, he says, the gardener, he also prunes. And this word prunes can be translated as he cuts back. He cuts back certain areas. And so whether the gardener is cutting off or he's cutting back, the gardener's main concern is to draw attention to certain areas of the branch that need improvement. And so Jesus tells his disciples that this is exactly what our father does with us. Like our father stands back and he assesses our life. He assesses our connection with Jesus. And he looks for areas that need some improvement. He looks for areas that he can draw attention to and help improve. But this process, I think, is only possible by what he talks about in John 14, his spirit. The, the spirit, his, the Holy Spirit is so present in this process of pruning. I don't know about you, but has anyone ever experienced the Holy Spirit kind of like, you know, an alarm goes off in your head of something like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. Or, hey, we got to take care of that. Like, that is the Holy Spirit. He's involved in this process of pruning, of taking away and cutting back. But here's the, here's the thing. The process of, of pruning is an extremely uncomfortable thing. Extremely uncomfortable. Because it means drawing attention to a certain area of your life that needs some improvement. And as humans, we don't like to admit sometimes that we have faults or that we struggle with certain things. Like, but the, the, the process is extremely uncomfortable. But it's, an, it's a necessary process. It's an extremely necessary process because when you think about a, a dead branch connected to a vine, I was reading an article online and it said that the, the purpose of removing a dead branch is extremely vital because if you let a dead branch stay connected to a vine long, for a long period of time, that dead branch could potentially have a disease in it. Like if it died because there was a disease, that disease could spread to the rest of the vine and the rest of the branches. So it is absolutely crucial that you get rid of the dead branch. And I thought, what a beautiful picture that is in our life certain areas of our life that may be spiritually dead. Like, man, there are certain things that we need to get rid of in our life, and if we don't, it could potentially affect other areas of our life. But here's the motive behind um, our father's pruning. You know, growing up, I used to think that this word pruning, like if the Lord needed to prune me, I thought it was punishment. Like I thought it meant I was doing something wrong and the Lord was like shaming me for it. I don't think that's actually the case at all. I think it's completely opposite. I think this process of pruning, we must know that it's a process of, of love. It's all done in love. The heart of the Father can be so clearly seen through this process. Like, think about this. As the Father is pruning us, and the Spirit is doing its work in our life, He is intimately close to you and I. He's intimately close to a certain area of our life, and he, he's not thinking about himself. He has our best interest in mind. Because he wants, us to, he wants to see us stay connected to Jesus. He wants us to be open and surrendered to this process of pruning so that, so that 
we can be spiritually healthy and live a fruit-filled life. It's all done in love, this process of pruning. Now, I want to give you a practical example of what this looks like, because when I was thinking about this, I'm like, okay, cutting off, removing a certain area of our life, it makes sense. But what about pruning? Because Jesus says pruning takes place in an area of our life that, you know, we just got to cut it back so that growth can come back and be more fruitful. I'm like, what does that even look like? And so I want to talk to you about one of my best friends. Um, You can throw a picture on the screen there. His name is Israel. Israel is the guy on the right. The, the, the great thing about Israel is he's about 5'3". As you can see, he's shorter than my wife. My wife is, how tall are you, like 5'4"? So Israel's 5'3". Some of you might know Israel in this room. Uh, but the thing I always give him a lot of crap for is I always say, the, the, the amazing thing about Israel is he can go to a store and he shops in the boys' section. He doesn't have to shop in the adult section. He can buy boys' clothes. He can buy boys' shoes, and he fits in them, and it's much cheaper, and that's awesome because sometimes boys' clothes are much cooler than adult clothes anyways. And so um, here's Israel. This is us on our wedding day. He was actually our wedding photographer, uh, which was which super cool to have him a part of our wedding day. He, right now he's actually uh, living in Texas. He's going to an evangelism school, um, which has been a super cool experience for him. But I want to talk to you about pruning in his life, specifically in the context of photography. And so about 2019, Israel picked up a camera for one of the very first times. He's like, this sounds like a cool idea. I'm just going to go buy a camera. So he bought a pretty cheap camera. He bought some cheap lenses. And he just started going and taking pictures. Like went to um, out in creation. He started taking pictures of people. He just took pictures anywhere he went. He just had his camera. Um, and the cool thing he told me, we were just chatting about this experience this past week, and he said, Jaden, when I first started taking photos, this was my act of worship. Like, this is my place of worship. I would go out late at night, and I would sit and take photos of, of the stars, and it would just be me and the Lord, and he's like, as, we were, as I would edit photos, he's like, it was just my time of worship. But eventually, Israel actually became extremely good at photography. This is all self-taught. I have some other photos that he took, Here's one of a, of a lighthouse. I have no idea where this is. Here's some of um, the, the stars in the sky. I mean, just truly amazing. And here's one more. This is on our wedding day. Um, he is actually, as you see a puddle of water down here, he is actually laying in a puddle of water to take this photo. And I'm like, geez, we did not pay you enough money to lay in a puddle of water to take this photo. And so Israel got extremely good at photography and along that same lines, all of a sudden people started to know who he was, people started to see his work, and they started asking Israel, hey, I want you to come do this, can you take photos of this, can you take photos of this? And he told me, he said, Jaden, what was once a place of worship started to become, it was all about me. He said, it, it's, I started to get a lot of self-gratification, I loved it when people asked me, wanted to, to, for me to come do their work, and then when I give them pictures, he was like, people would praise me for it, and he said, this once went from worship, and he goes, it now became an idol in my life. And about two weeks ago, he tells me this story, which is, I think, so interesting. He said, I came to a place where I was just like so burnt out of photography. I was so tired of people asking me to do photos. And he said, I felt like the Spirit told me, I want you to give all of your camera gear away. Give it away. Now, at this point, Israel has very expensive photography equipment, very expensive lenses. And so what does he do? He said, Lord, you know what? Okay, I will, I will obey. I will be obedient. So he goes and he gives all his photography equipment away to this lady. And he tells me, he goes, Jaden, I cannot tell you the amount of joy and the amount of peace that came back into my life because I was obedient. 
to what the Lord asked of me. And so what was the Lord doing in his life? He was pruning Israel. Now this was an area of life that didn't need to go forever. It just needed some attention, right? It needed, he needed to draw attention to it. He needed to take a step back and he needed to refocus, reevaluate, and realign. Now the funny thing about the story is about a week ago, he's, he was approached by two churches in Texas and said, hey Israel, can you please come take photography for us? And he responds and says, well, I would love to, but I actually have no photography equipment anymore. And so if any of you want to buy Israel a camera and send it to him in Texas, I know he would greatly appreciate it. But this is the process of pruning, to cut back, to redirect, to realign so that that area of life can be produced more fruit, more fruit. So that's our Father's work in our life. Number two, I want to talk about Jesus, how he, how he compares himself as a vine. John 15, 4 through 5 says, Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus compares, him to, compares himself as a vine. So what's a vine's role in this connection? Well, a vine helps the branch produce fruit because the vine is deeply connected to the roots. The vine carries nourishment to the branches so that they can stay alive and healthy. The vine exists continually. I mean, the vine has existed before the branches have ever existed. You cannot have branches without the presence of the vine. And you cannot have fruit without the presence of a vine. And I think Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, just like the vine keeps the branches alive, he says, the longer you stay connected to me, I will keep you alive spiritually. Like, I will give you the spiritual nourishment that you need each and every day as you walk through this life. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus describes himself as giving life, though. I mean, backing up to John 10.10, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees, and he says, "I, I have come so that they may have life and have life to the full. What's the full life? It's a, it's a full, fruitful life. John 14, 6, Jesus describes himself as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is oftentimes describing himself as, hey, I can give you the true life and spiritual nourishment that you need in your life. And so if you're sitting in this room this morning and you're thinking, man, I am struggling and I need some patience right now. My encouragement is stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to the vine because he will help produce patience in your life. If you're struggling with self-control, stay connected to the vine because Jesus can produce that fruit in your life. Man, maybe you're struggling with forgiveness in your life. Someone's hurt you so deeply and badly. I've been there. But stay connected to the vine because Jesus can help produce forgiveness in your life. That's number two. Number three, I want to talk to you about the disciples' role now. Now, Jesus says, us, his disciples, us disciples, we are like branches. Now, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or if that is a, like a diss. I'm not sure. Uh, but he says, you disciples, you are like branches. And he lays it out real simple for us as disciples. He says, you're like branches, and branches have one job. It's not to bear fruit. Oftentimes, when I first read this, I thought it's well, we just need to bear fruit, just do more, do more good things. No. The branch's one job is stay connected to the vine. That's your one job. Stay connected. Now, fruit is good and all, but listen, fruit only comes 
out of the branches continual connection to the vine. And so our main responsibility as disciples of Jesus, stay connected to him. Stay connected to him. Now, I used to think, you know, this is like a one-time decision. Like a one-time decision on the day of salvation. Like when I accept Jesus into my life for the first time, I'm like, or first and only time, I'm like, okay, I'm connected to Jesus. No, I think staying connected to the vine is a daily, continual decision of surrender to stay connected to him. So like when you wake up tomorrow, it's a daily decision of surrender. Are you going to stay connected to him or are you going to do life your own way? Like, are you going to choose to stay connected to Jesus or are you going to just go about your day and, you know, fulfill your selfish desires? Like, it's an everyday decision. It's not a one-time decision. It's an everyday decision to stay connected to him. But what happens when the disciples don't fulfill their main responsibility? Their one job, stay connected. What happens? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, 6. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Jesus tells his disciples that when you intentionally disconnect yourself from me, the result will be you will be like a branch that is slowly withered. You might be okay for a little bit. It's not, it's not this quick process. It's a slow process, but man, you go about a, a week, a month, a year disconnecting yourself from Jesus intentionally, the result will be a branch that withers to a place of spiritual death. Has anybody ever been in that place? Has anyone ever found yourself in a place of spiritual death? Now, I want to tell you, uh, uh, give you a little bit, a glimpse of my life. It takes a whole lot of vulnerability to tell you kind of some of my testimony, but I think it's so appropriate of what Jesus is talking about here this morning. So back in 2019, um, this is long before Anna and I even met. I had no idea who, we, who she even was at this point. I was serving as a youth pastor in a local church here um, in Sioux Falls. And I started dating a woman who was in our congregation. It was not Anna. It's someone completely different. I was starting dating a uh, woman in our congregation. And over the course of our relationship... I started to make extremely poor decisions when it came to sexual purity in our relationship. I started engaging in sexual activity with this woman who was not my wife at the time. And this went on for probably about a period of like six to eight months. Again, serving as a youth pastor in a church, but I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I just felt like I couldn't tell anyone. At first it was like, I'm going to keep this hidden, but then I came to a place where I'm like, I need to tell somebody, but I can't. The enemy's like, you can't, you can't. You tell someone they're going to think differently of you. Until I finally came to a point when I came to my senses. And I thought, holy smokes, my life has gotten so far off. So far off. I need to tell somebody. And so that first conversation I had was with my supervisor at the church. And I just started to confess some sin in my life of what was going on. One of the most difficult conversations I've ever had. And then I remember I met with Dave I mean, I still remember the conversation when we sat in the living room of your home, and I just was broken. I mean, just confessing sin of just things that were going on in my life. And it was in that point, guys, that I realized how far the sin had actually taken me. Like, I was in an extreme place of brokenness, hopelessness. You know, I oftentimes tell people, 
you know, oftentimes people say like, oh, I hit rock bottom. No, I didn't hit rock bottom. I found rock bottom's basement, if I can be brutally honest with you. Like, everything about who I was was completely messed up. I, I doubted my identity, who I was as a person, my calling on my life, just finding myself in a place of brokenness. And I remember in this season, this, this was about a, a six to eight month season, I started to see a counselor, just seeing a counselor every week because I was so messed up, diving into more conversation, hard conversations with people like Dave. And I remember in this season, the cry of my heart, guys, if I can be so honest with you, the cry of my heart was not, you know, Jesus, just forgive me. Jesus, would you just please do something cool in my life? No, the cry of my heart in this season was I remember telling the Lord, I said, God, I just wish you were done with me. God, I wish you were done with me. Because the pain and the brokenness, <clears throat> the hopelessness, the, the feelings I was having in that moment, I would do anything possible to get rid of them if that meant God was done with me. God, I wish you were done with me. That was the cry of my heart. Until I finally, I, I, I went to a, a worship night at a church here in Sioux Falls. And I remember I was standing in the back of the sanctuary and people are singing and worshiping, and I could hardly even sing because I was so broken. And I was standing in the back of the sanctuary, and, and there was a guy on, on stage. His name was Rick. He's one of my really good friends, and he was talking about his dad. And he was sharing a story. He would say, you know, my, my dad, this was a hard season. He went through poor choices that he made, and then he would say, but God was not done with him yet. And then he would say another hard story and a hard thing that was going on in his dad's life. And he said, but God was not done with him yet. And he would do that over and over again. And I remember when I was standing in the back of that church in that sanctuary, I just began to weep as those words were being spoken. But God was not done with him yet. But God was not done with him yet. As the cry of my heart was, God, I wish you were done with me. Like, it was like these words were being spoken directly to my soul. But Jaden, I am not done with you yet. And I remember the spirit whispered so, so quietly in my heart that night. He said, Jaden, if you remain faithful to me, if you remain faithful, if you stay connected to me and walk down this path that I have in front of you, I will, I promise you, I will restore health to you and I will heal your wounds. I promise. And I want you to know as I stand in this place right now, in this moment, my life is living proof that God is a God of restoration. God is a God of resurrection. He is a God of healing. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God like that, right? I'm so thankful that we serve a God of forgiveness, restoration, and second chances. But what was God doing in this season of my life? He was cutting off branches that needed to go, dead branches dead things in my life that were having a huge impact on every other area of my life. And he was teaching me, John 15, 6, that if you do not remain in me, Jaden, you are like a branch that is thrown away and will wither. This was the area of my life. Obviously, sexual impurity was the area of my life that became a dead, withering branch. Now, I don't know about you and what your story is or where you find yourself in this moment, but I truly believe that Anything hindering your relationship with God is a dead branch in your life. Like anything that could be hindering your relationship with Jesus is, like a, is a dead branch in your life. 
So man, maybe there is wounds from your past that you are trying to still deal with and process through. I've been there. Maybe that is the area of your life that's a dead branch that Jesus wants to come in and say, hey, let's remove this so that you can have a fruit-filled life. Maybe it's an area of unforgiveness, bitterness, and anger. That's a dead branch that the Lord wants to come in and remove this morning so that you can have and live a fruit-filled, abundant life. Maybe it is in the area of your relationships. I don't know. Or maybe you're just looking for fulfillment in other places other than Jesus. If that's you this morning, I promise you, the Lord wants to come into your life. He wants to be close to you. He wants to draw close to you. And he wants to remove that branch so that you can live a fruit-filled life. That's the amazing thing about our Father. But my question is, are you willing? Like, are you willing to surrender yourself to this process? The Lord cannot do this work until you are willing, until you surrender yourself to the vine so that he can come in and prune and cut off and remove. I once heard this quote. I was uh, reading something online, and this is a quote by a lady named Bunny Wilson, which is a super cool name, Bunny. I thought that's awesome. She's a Christian author. I, I've never read any of her books, um, so I don't know. If you have, that's awesome. But she said this. As Christians, the way we respond when we are being pruned reveals our true level of spiritual maturity. Let me read that again. As Christians, the way that you and I respond when we are being pruned reveals our true level of spiritual maturity. You want to know the most spiritual mature thing that you can possibly do is surrender yourself to the process of pruning of the Lord's work in your life. That's spiritually mature. It's very spiritually mature. To be willing to say, no matter what it takes, no matter the pain, the brokenness, no matter the path, Jesus, I'm going to surrender myself to you to this process of pruning. That's the most spiritually mature thing that you could possibly do. But the question that I kick around is, why does Jesus tell his disciples this information right now? Like here we are, John 15, we're, he's sitting around the table, he tells this, this, this information to his disciples right now, but why? Well, I think Jesus knew, obviously, everything that was about to unfold in the next two to three chapters. Here's the thing, we, we're spoiled a little bit because we get to know because we have scripture, but the disciples really had no idea. Jesus was telling them, for a long period of time, what was going to happen. Now, they didn't really believe it. But the disciples were about to walk into one of the hardest seasons they would have ever walked into. I mean, they experienced division. They experienced denial. They experienced pain as Jesus was arrested and taken to the cross to be crucified. They experienced brokenheartedness. We have this, this picture of, the, of women, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, sitting at the feet of the cross just weeping as their Savior is being crucified. They're having, experiencing hopelessness, anger. And what is Jesus' response? He tells his disciples, everything's about to, everything that's about to come unfold, he said, the best thing I can tell you is just stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. And I will give you exactly what you need to get through this extremely difficult season. And though this is the information and the truth that Jesus tells his disciples thousands of years ago, I think it is so appropriate and applicable still to us sitting in this room. I mean, look around us today, guys. Our world is full of division, is full of pain, 
is full of hopeless situations. People who are bitter, angry, who have wounds, who have unforgiveness. I mean, there's so much going on in our world right now. And I think if Jesus was here, the advice that he would give us is stay connected to me. Just stay connected to me. What's about to unfold, you may not know or, or, or know yet or, or how painful it's going to be, but just stay connected to me and I will give you exactly, exactly what you need to make it through. I'm going to invite the band to come forward um, and I'm going to wrap this up and try to land the plane here real quick so we can keep uh, rolling on. Obviously today is Palm Sunday and when Dave and I met about, what, two, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago even to start talking about Uh, what he wanted me to speak on, and he told me John 15, and he's like, I would love for you to connect it to Palm Sunday some way, and I thought, wow, okay, this will be hard. (laughs) This might be a little difficult, because this is not the most common passage of scripture uh, for Palm Sunday, right? But the more I dove into this text, I started to, to see, you know what, this actually does connect in a way. Now, when we think about Palm Sunday, this is the moment, we often call it the triumphal entry, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, And we have a crowd who's around Jesus who's waving palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're praising Jesus. They're praising him. And this is a moment that so many people have been waiting for. Like so many prophecies have pointed to that moment, this moment when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Now a lot of people in that crowd, though, thought Jesus was going to come in with power, with revenge. He's going to crush Rome and free the Jews and free his people. But that did not happen. He, he took a completely different approach. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, symbolism, symbolizing humility. He's riding in with, with love in his eyes as he's looking at those around him in this crowd. And the crowd is praising him. He's praising him. And then, here's the thing though, this is three chapters before John 15 this event happens. But then just three chapters after John 15, we also have this crowd, a different crowd, who's standing and yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now I'm not saying that every single person who is standing there on this triumphal entry praising Jesus into Jerusalem was also later standing and saying, crucify him, crucify him. But I do think though, there was some people that were standing in both of those crowds. Because you see, there's a shift in public opinion that happened. Like I said, Jesus rode into Jerusalem in a way that they never expected him to. And so I think it offended a lot of people saying, well, if he didn't come the way I expected him, he must be a fake. So we must get rid of him. We must get rid of him. But I thought, well, how does people go from singing Hosanna to then declaring crucify him? Well, I think it boils down, it's real simple. I think people in this first crowd were truly actually not connected to Jesus. They were not surrendered to the vine. I think some of them were standing there playing a part, playing a role, acting a little bit like, oh, if everyone else is kind of doing this, then okay, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, that's the power of a mob, right? They weren't truly surrendered to the vine, to Jesus, but they were actually surrendered still to the crowd. They were surrendered to the crowd. What's the crowd? It's just the way of the world, our selfish motives. They were surrendered to the crowd. And so I have to ask you in this room this morning, 
Like if that is the case back then, man, where do you find yourself this morning? Like, do you find yourself maybe in this first crowd this morning saying, you know, oh, it's Palm Sunday. This is kind of just what we do at church. We sing songs and praise Jesus and remember this significant event. But my question is, are you truly connected to Jesus? Are you truly surrendered to the vine or do you find yourself in the shoes where you're still surrendered to this world, to the crowd? And I pray this morning, guys, that my story, the hard season that I had to walk through, where I intentionally disconnected myself with the vine, would be motivation and encouragement for us in this room knowing that we must stay connected to him. Because if we don't, we will be like a branch that slowly withers and will experience spiritual death like none other. So are you truly surrendered to the vine? More specifically, are you surrendered to the Spirit's work of wanting to come and prune your life? Are you surrendered to him? I'm gonna pray for us real quick. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.